All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Boxed Wine and Witchcraft. You have uh, me, Melissa, tonight, and again with our unofficial extra co-host, Zach. <laughs> and Zach, uh, you just informed me that the title of uh, this episode is Saints, Souls, Spirits, and Spooks. Mm-hmm. You have a lot for us tonight. A little bit. I have, I have a decent chunk. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to fit this in an hour? <laughs> we can fit this in an hour. Okay. <laughs> the bulk of this is actually going to be more concerned with connection um, during this time of the year. So you often hear the term, the veil is thinning. And then within like the, the quote unquote spiritual community, you kind of hear the little bit of the rebuttal, which is, the veil is always thin. This is true. A lot of history tells us this is the time to speak with the other side. That comes from an agrarian or an, an agricultural kind of context for the reason why that is a, a saying or a belief. This is harvest time. So everything is coming in from the fields, you know, we've already gone through the picking of vegetables, the picking of berries and fruits to now we're picking and harvesting the grains. After this, there's kind of nothing else to do. There's some cultures historically that would begin preparing cheeses, culturing milk, turning it into yogurt, turning it into preserved dairy products. That was kind of it. After that, it was, for the winter, it was the mending of clothing, the creation of clothing, creation of fabrics. Um, certain debts would already be dealt with before Michaelmas or just right after Michaelmas. So again, everything is kind of finished. There's not really much else to do right now. It's a time of rest. That would be the time to go deep into oneself and start reconnecting. So that's why there's a lot of celebrations around this time that deal with talking to the other side or becoming more spiritually attuned. The people of the past obviously had a great deal of connection to the earth. They were already predisposed to being quote unquote spiritually attuned. This is the time where you could do that a little bit more freely. So this also kind of mimics the life. So the life was also intrinsically, the life of a person was intrinsically tied to seasons. So we have Easter in the spring, the resurrection, the rising of things, the renewal of things. Spring is renewal. That's why our holidays for renewal occur in the spring. Harvest is the time for settling down, for hibernation for renewal in a, in a different sense. You know, you've worked all through the spring and summer. Now you're going back to sleep. You're going back into um, maybe eating a lot, you know, like people gain weight during this time. The reason you gain weight during this time, aside from the holidays is sometimes for certain groups of people, genetic, their bodies will hold on to calories a lot easier during this time than it would in the summer. And not just because you're doing more in the summer, but 
genetically your body, your body has a clock. It, ha- it knows the times of the seasons. It will hold on to these things more during the winter and during late fall than it will in the spring and summer. So again, we have these, these ideas of harvesting, of going inward, you know, how should I say, um, life reflects nature, (laughs) um, because we are a part of nature. So most people will know the history of Halloween. I feel most people do know this, the history of Halloween. Halloween, a contraction of Hallow's Eve or Halloween, All Hallow's Eve, is a holiday that was initially, well, before it was called Halloween, the pagan harvest festivals existed to begin with. Then with Christianity, you know, they, um, they syncretized and it became this amalgamation, just like many things that Christianity touched, it became this amalgamation of the honoring of the dead and the honoring of the saints. Now, briefly, I want to talk about, this is something that just annoys me. So this is opinion, but it's something that kind of bothers me because we lose a lot of context and we lose a lot of perspective when we do this, is when people always say things like Christianity, or sorry, Christmas is a Christian holiday that was stolen from pagans, or Easter is a Christian-made holiday and it was stolen from pagan tradition. Assimilation is a thing. Synchronization is a thing. A lot of things like this happened with the influx of Christianity. Many pagans believed in both Christianity and their old traditions. Yes, Christianity definitely (laughs) did a lot of harm to these old traditions, but it kind of takes away from the people when you say that those who were quote-unquote Christianized, that their practices are invalid because there's elements of Christianity there. There is synchronization that happened, and that's how those traditions were able to survive. The Day of the Dead, in my culture, would not have survived without Christianity. If it stayed entirely how it was in Mexico, it would have been squashed. It only survived because it allowed Christianity into its tradition and was floated on those currents of Christianity. That's why we still have that tradition. It synchronized and it adjusted to its its climate, to its time. Otherwise, we wouldn't have it. So when Christmas comes around, Be careful if you see me in the shop and you say, oh, it used to be this pagan holiday because I will come for you. That's an entirely other conversation. Halloween, All Hallows Eve, All Hallows, the saints, the sacred ones. This was a day set aside to honor all of the saints at once. Many saints have their feast days. Many apparitions of Mary have their feast days. Many um, angels and archangels have their feast days. Um, again, Michaelmas happens on September 29th. So there are, for every day, there's at least one saint honored in 
our 365-day calendar, the Gregorian calendar. The Julian calendar, calendar as well, if you follow Eastern, Eastern Orthodox or Eastern churches, those kinds of Christianity. But there are the saints that aren't necessarily recognized as having a feast day or the forgotten saints, the more obscure saints. This was a day to honor every saint, every martyr, etc. All Hallows Eve, October 31st, was the preparation day for this. After, you would have All Souls Day. Now, depending on what calendar you're looking at, like what physical calendar you have in your phone or that you buy at you know, your local store or whatever, sometimes you'll see All Saints Day and All Souls Day switched. That's not a misprint. These two days kind of go back and forth in, in history. All Hallows Eve, October 31st, stayed the same. November 1st and November 2nd, depending on the calendar, depending on culture, are going to be different things. So some have the first as All Saints Day. Some have the second as All Souls Day. Um, some have the first as All Souls Day and the second as All Saints Day. In my personal cultural tradition, we Mexican-Americans don't necessarily follow that. In Mexico, they do. In Mexico, they do have the Day of the Saints and the Day of the Soul. Up here and in more obscure parts of Mexico, we have the Day of the Innocents and the Day of the Dead. November 1st, if we are following that as All Saints Day, is going to be the time for feasts that celebrate the saints, of course. The second is not so much practice in modern, or I should say in contemporary Catholicism or Christianity. Pre the Second Vatican Council, they did celebrate All Souls Day pretty regularly, pretty, uh, pretty much across all parishes. All Souls Day is a time of remembrance for all those who died of the faith. So these would be all of your ancestors who were Catholic, or at least in communion with the Catholic Church who weren't as excommunicated or othered in some way or another. Um, they would be remembered on that day. You would go to the gravesite, you would clean it, you would maybe have the whole family say a rosary around, you know, the family cemetery or the graves of those who died. You know, most people tried to keep their dead. If it wasn't in a family cemetery and it was a public cemetery, they tried to keep their dead all in one kind of region within the cemetery. But it was a time for remembrance of all of the holy deceased. If we're moving away now from Halloween and like the European traditions, we have Day of the Dead sometimes called Dios de los Muertos, Día de Muerto, Día de Muertes. There's a lot of different names. Mexican Spanish has rules, but those rules aren't always followed. So all three of those names are correct. The Day of the Dead. 
is a celebration that occurs officially on November 2nd. Most people use October 31st, November 1st, and November 2nd as days of the dead. A lot of people start at the sixth month until November when they start preparing the cemeteries, getting things together, making plans, getting um, ideas for what they're going to cook and everything, getting all of that ready beforehand. Some people will start in September and others will start in October. There are certain days that escape me at the moment that are called Nights of the Dead. And these are regional, um, quote unquote, official days that you would start preparing the cemetery. Again, it's regional, it's familial. Some people start at six months from Day of the Dead. Some people will start in October or September. Um, you know, if you're in Oaxaca, it's going to be different than if you're in Michoacan or if you're in Nuevo León, it's going to change. Generally, one can say the celebrations, the lively celebrations, the March celebrations, the obvious celebrations start on the 31st of October. They carry into the 1st of November, again, which is Dia de los Inocentes, the Day of the Innocent Ones. It remembers all of those who've passed under the age of adulthood. Um, for some people, that's anyone who died under the age of 13. For others, it's anyone who died under the age of 18. It's however you want to classify. It's however each region, each family would classify um, honoring their deceased young ones. Um, Day of the Dead proper, November 2nd, is for the adults and all honorable dead. And sometimes not so honorable dead. Certain regional cults will make offerings, will make petitions on these, on these days, especially um, the cults of Santa Muerte. When I say cult here, I don't think Satanism. Think minor religious movement. Um, you also have Jesus Malverde, who may be honored at this time. Again, the narco saints, the folk saints, the saints that have minor religious followings. They're usually petitioned or thanked. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot more of Thanksgiving going on at this time for them than there is petitioning. But it is a powerful day to petition should you want or to at least start like a novena. Or for those of you who know anything about Santísima Muerte, they would start the skin sacrifice at this point. Um, traditionally, those saints would be honored on this day. There's a lot of debate on how Day of the Dead came to be in its present incarnation. Ancient festivals of the Aztec and the Nahuatl people, the Mexica, they remembered their dead daily. They had ancestral practices that were near daily. Um, and there, again, is debate on whether they had this celebration toward the end of the year like this, or if they had it in other parts of the year. And it just so happened that it became more convenient to do it on this because of the conquering religion. Some evidence that says it has always been around this time is the symbol of the monarch butterfly. The monarch migration from North America into Central and South America happens around this time. 
around October, November. The monarchs will come from the north into Mexico. The north, if you're in Mexico's perspective, the north is Mitlampa, which is the land of the dead. So the monarchs coming from the north to the south is symbolic of the spirits of the dead coming from Mitlampa into Mexico, into this realm of the living. The monarch symbolic of the dead returning, that's one of the reasons why many things are orange during Day of the Dead. You also have Sempasuchi or Taj, I'm going to get this wrong. Tajitis erecta, I believe is what its um, scientific name is. Its biological name. It's a true marigold. So you have calendula or calendula and marigolds. It is a true marigold, sometimes called Mexican marigold. I've also heard it called African marigold, which is a misnomer because it's native to Mexico. It's native to like the south, um, the southern arid regions. The marigolds are representative of the many, many, many dead. Sempasuchi itself means thousand petaled. So it represents the thousands of souls that have died, all of our ancestors that we have forgotten about that existed to allow us to get to where we are now. It, in some regional beliefs, it's also seen as the heart. It's symbolic of the heart. But again, you're going to see a lot of orange because of the monarchs, because of the Sempasuchi. Um, orange is also just in general one of the happier colors, orange, yellow. Um, but yes, synchronization because of the conquering Spanish European Christians kind of caused Day of the Dead to solidify into the first and second, primarily the second. Um, but again, like I said, most people, at least nowadays, will practice the 31st, first, and second. Um, or celebrate those three days, rather, as the Days of the Dead. So Day of the Dead is not Mexican Halloween. A lot of people will say, oh, it's Halloween, but like how they celebrate it in Mexico. No, 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 no. Yes, both of these holidays have Catholic influence and both deal with celebrating the saints and the spirits of the dead. But Halloween has a Celtic and Gaelic origin day of the dead has a very mexican death obsessed kind of culture um origin so we don't celebrate now or even in the past our history we don't celebrate um the dead on just one day again we recognize the dead almost every day the more heavier christianity gets on or at least grips a lot of people, it becomes less of a daily practice um, outwardly. But I would bet if you went to Mexico and asked, do you pray for your family often? Oh yeah, I include them in my rosary every day. In some degree, again, it's a daily practice. Most Europeans would celebrate the dead around harvest time though, because again, the reaping, the harvesting, etc. Sugar skulls are also a very popular symbol for Day of the Dead. 
These represent the skull rack or the skulls that were prominent in ancient Mexico. Those had more to do with sacrifice. It was a reminder, it was kind of like a memento mori. It was a reminder that you're going to die. Nowadays, it's meant to symbolize the dead, kind of like a soul home or a spirit home, but the spirit isn't actually living in there. It's just a reminder of that family member. That family member. A lot of people will write the name of the family member who died onto the sugar skull in, in royal icing, but they're not seen as living in there. They're seen as a mimicking of their actual skull, which is somewhere in the graveyard, where it should be. Um, but yes, please, please stop saying that Day of the Dead is Mexican Halloween. It, it's not. I think that diminishes both cultures when you say stuff like that. Um, it takes away from the Celtic and Gaelic and the Gauls, those cultures, as well as it takes away from the Mexican ancestral traditions and those people as well. So this is what I would imagine for most people is going to be the fun part of the podcast. Let's talk about actually talking to the dead and let's talk specifically about Ouija boards. So for those of you who listen to this, who know me, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't think the Ouija board is a horrible thing. Um, so this is going to be kind of biased. <laughs> the Ouija board was... I wouldn't even say an invention. It had precursors in wall tapping and table tipping. Both of these, if you know the story of, I'm going to get these two mixed up because I always do. It was either the Fox sisters or the Bang sisters. They began the spiritualist movement, spiritualist capitalist. Their way of talking to deceased souls was through knocking and it was through table tipping. Eventually, they got around to using a planchette, which is kind of like another way of automatic writing. That evolved into the Ouija board. The Ouija board is a spiritualist tool. It is not satanic. It's not going to let demons into your, into your house or home. It's not going to open portals. It's not going to do any of that. It is a board or a table. If you decide to write the letters out on cards and put them on a table, it's, it's a game. If you go in, though, wanting to contact something, quote unquote, evil or bad, that's what you're going to get. If you go into it, wanting to talk to Aunt Susie. Well, if she has a strong connection on the other side, she'll come through and she'll say, hey. It's a tool, much like a hammer. You can build a house with a hammer or you can bludgeon someone with a hammer. The board itself is not evil. It's your intentions when you go in. Who do you want to talk to? What do you want to talk to? But even then, if you want to go talk to some deceased murderer, and they do come through. The minute you're done with that board, 
is the minute they go off and do whatever they want, whatever they were doing beforehand, before you talk to them. If you go in with the preconceived notions of this thing's going to attach to me, I'm going to have a spirit attachment, I'm going to have negative energy following me. If you go in with those already preconceived notions, which a lot of people do because we hear these legends of Ouija boards. And so we already have this pre-planted seed of the bad things that can happen with it then that's what's going to come to you. You could call this law of attraction. You could call this natural law. You could call this... I look at it the same way I look at a lot of things. We create our realities based on what we believe and what we see is a creation of what we believe. So if you believe you're going to take home bad things with you, you're going to take home bad things with you. If you go in using a Ouija board, just wanting to, again, talk to Aunt Susie, that's all you're going to get. So I don't believe that Ouija boards are dangerous. Um, I don't believe they're demonic. I don't believe they're satanic. I don't believe they open portals. They're just a tool for communication. They're a tool point blank period. What you do with it is what the result's going to be. You use that hammer to build a house, you now have a home. You use that hammer to bludgeon someone, you're not going to jail. Cause and effect. That's just simple karma. Now. For those of you who want to talk to the dead during this time in a less informal way and in a more structured way, this would be a great time because everyone kind of already has this focus on the dead. We have this collective energy of speaking to dead loved ones, speaking to high holy beings like the saints. The easiest way to do this that I recommend to people is make a, make a small space you know, something like a foot, you know, one square foot on a table, on a counter, somewhere. Enough space to place a little white handkerchief, a glass of water, and a white candle. You can have that space. In most traditions, this kind of set up a white cloth, glass of water, white candle. This is going to be for ancestors. You can kind of use this as a, a blank canvas for whatever. You can use it for ancestors, you can use it for your guides. You can also place a picture of a saint there and it is now an altar for connecting with a specific saint. You can place a folk figure there who you wanna to connect to. If you wanna do this during Christmas and you wanna to connect to Krampus for some reason to cause mischief or something, you could do that. Um, with something like that, I'd also go a little more centric of that culture. So that would be kind of like the German, um, mid to East European culture. So put pine bows there, um, birch twigs, you know, make it a little more focused. But a cloth, glass of water, candle, then start speaking to whoever dead ones you want to talk to. Um, but again, keep in mind, if you put a calling out there to something and it comes, you have to deal with the consequences. If you go in, honestly and earnestly just wanting to talk to a deceased loved one, that's all you're going to get. You're not going to get the evil. If you go in wanting to talk to something evil or talk to some troubled spirit, you might get that. If you want to talk to a troubled spirit of, let's say, your home that might be causing some problems, if you want to call it a ghost, sure. If you want to call it a disrupted land spirit, sure. You can make offerings there and help elevate them and move them on to wherever they need to go or at least satiate them so they leave 
these are all practices that you can do during this time. These are practices you can do whenever, but because you have the energy of the collective world kind of focusing on harvest and focusing on the dead, that helps. My final words of advice here would be don't just make today or these days or this time of the year as your focus for the dead. If you're going to work with a saint, don't just work with them on this day. If you're going to work with a folk spirit or folk figure, don't work with them just on this day. Make sure you're doing that all year long. You know, you can do that all year long. This would be a good time, though, to begin that relationship with them. I think you get a better response out of them if you're working with them all the time instead of just asking when you think you need them. I mean, even us regular humans, you know, you have somebody that only comes around because they want something, you're not as likely to help them. Oh, definitely. Um, yes, this, like I said, this is a good time to start a relationship if you want to. And you, again, you can start that relationship whenever. The veil is always thin. It's not just thin because of this time. Veil's always thin. You can always talk to your dead. You can always talk to saints. You can always talk to ancestors. You can talk to folk saints. You can talk to spirits. You can do that whenever. And you should do that. That, in my opinion, that should be like step two of spiritual practice. You know, you learn cleansing, you learn protection, you learn some basic healing, some divination in the beginning. Then you start working with spirits. Spirits of the land, spirits of trees, spirits of bodies of water, your house spirit, um, maybe a patron that you want to begin a relationship with, getting to know better. These are things that you can do whenever. These are things you should do whenever. But yes, this time does have a little bit more of a tendency to make it a little easier. Do you have anything to add? Um, but the only thing I can really think of, um, the fun little tidbit that it wasn't jack-o'-lanterns carved out of pumpkins that was the start. It was turnips, I think it was. And yep. those are really ugly and scary looking. Mm -hmm. Go look those up. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, turnips. There's a whole Irish and Scots-Irish immigrants along Appalachia. A whole set of tales, the jack tales, that talk about jack and the devil. And again, this isn't the devil in context of Christianity. This is the devil in context of this old trickster spirit. There's a whole legend of the jack-o'-lantern. Yes, it was originally a turnip. If any of you um, like history recreation or history involved things on like YouTube, there's Bernadette Banner. And every year she has a day, usually around this time, where she'll carve a turnip and just talk about history. And it's great. Um, but even for Michaelmas, there's a tradition of carving apples. So apples are harvested around that time. You carve a face into the apple, you hang it up, let it dry. And then a month later, around Halloween, they look like this shriveled up head. So yeah, carving gourds, carving vegetables for lights, for lanterns. That has a big history and very much around this time. You know, I work a lot with Marianne Winkowski, the ghost whisperer. She absolutely hates Ouija boards and she always yells at me for having them in the store. Mm -hmm. 
And she's like, nothing good comes of those. And I'm like, I don't think they're any worse working with them than a pendulum, yeah. you know, and a max or even, you know, tarot. Like if you don't set your ground or your barriers, you know, all things can happen. But I'm like, we, we have those horrible 80 and 90s um, horror movies where people are being stabbed with a planchette through the eye yeah. you know, to make them scary. But it's not scary to be paper cut to death by a tech deck of tarot cards yeah <laughs> so you know and a, a pendulum chain isn't long enough to choke you so those aren't in the movies but it's always a ouija board yeah summon something so yeah. and again look at tools in the context so a ouija board was created by spiritualists it wasn't created by satanists it wasn't created by these haggard witches or whatever, you know, it wasn't created by these mythological ideas of groups of people. It was created by spiritualists for the demonstration that the soul continues after death, or at least the consciousness does. Um, people who look at Ouija boards now look at it outside of its context and they look at it using the information provided to them by Hollywood or provided to them by you know, people who are heavily Christianized or have a heavy Christian upbringing that said, you know, these things are evil. This isn't to discredit anyone who's had a bad experience with a Ouija board again. But those people went in expecting something bad to happen, wanting something bad to happen, looking for things, you know, looking for evil, quote unquote, and that's what they got. If you go in looking for something, you're going to get a result. If you're lucky and you're looking for something bad, hopefully you don't get any result. But if you're going to a graveyard and just asking, who's here? It'd be the same going into a random crowd and saying like, who wants $20? They're all going to flock to you. Good and bad. Right. You're, you're going to get all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. No, I think this has been very fun and informative. Um, I would have chipped in more, but... Um, thanks everyone for hanging in for my congested talking tonight, um, which is why Zach, you're, you're pulling the heavyweight here more than you normally do. Do you ever have any customers who ask about Ouija boards or like, why do you have those? Or like, how do you use them? Um, quite a bit. And depending sometimes, you know, depending on the employee, you know, you'll, I'll see them kind of cringe up and I'm like, stop it, <laughs> just stop it. Um, but you know, I do find people come in that they, they like them and they collect them just for the artwork on mm -hmm. some of the boards, especially when we have handmade ones. Yep. And, um, I do like some of the artwork that you find on them. Um, so I can absolutely see having, you know, a nice size one being hung up on the wall just for the art. Um, and now it's becoming easier to find pre-done little round tables with the legs that screw in and out, you know, so you can use the top by itself separately on a different table Yeah. or, you know, make this cute little table um, with its own little planchette. But uh, so they're, they're getting creative in how they're doing these, you know, and you'll see them listed as spirit boards, communication boards, angel boards. Anything um, other than Ouija. Right. Because, you know, it's safer that way, you know, said with air quotes. Yes. And or, you know, I'm like, well, that or maybe they're trying not to be sued by the game company. 
Exactly. It, it, it is. It's kind of twofold. One, it's, oh, you see Ouija, you immediately think bad. The second is more, I think, licensing mm-hmm. because Hasbro owns the Ouija name. So to avoid copyright infringement and lawsuits, a lot of people have transitioned to calling them witch boards, spirit boards, whatever. Right. The one I have, I have my own that I made. I like had a wooden plank, a decorative wooden plank, wood burned all of the letters, varnished it, sanded it. I have an old like 1920s era depression glass shot glass that I use for the planchette. Um, and I use that thing around this time at least once a year. I've yet to be possessed. I've yet to have things knocked off the walls. I've yet to encounter Beelzebub or Behemoth in the corner of my closet. So, Are you trying hard enough? <laughs> That's the thing. I'm not asking for those things to come around. I'm asking. In fact, it was the one and only time that I ever used a tool successfully to communicate with one of my guides, which was later confirmed about a year and a half later when a medium said the English version of her name. Hmm. So they work and do what you want them to do. If you want them to have murderers come flocking to you, that's what you're going to get. If you want to talk to the little girl who helps you out in your work, it'll do that too. Yeah, I personally don't have a problem with them. Um, I, th- I think the only problem, if you want to call it, uh, is just getting them to work. And I don't know if it's just because I'm such a grounded person that being able to let go and allow spirit to come in. Oh, yeah. That, I will say, okay, so we all know how much I very little, how much, how very little I play into astrology. Everyone I know that has had a normal slash maybe underwhelming experience with Ouija boards have very earth-centric astrology charts or come off as very earth-like people. Because <laughs> um, I know like your, your Western astrology, you're, an air, you're a fire sign. Mm-hmm. But your Tibetan astrology is like all earth stuff, earth metal and I think deep water, very, very grounded. My other friend, uh, Capricorn, uses Ouija boards, doesn't have any bad things happen from, happen from them. Me, I like to think I'm pretty grounded when I approach spiritual things. Have yet to have a bad experience. So I do think like your astrological demeanor or just your general personality is going to have a big say on how that results. Yeah, I um, had another colleague in the store a couple of years ago before COVID. And he was demonstrating using like the cup upside down on the table and a couple people fingers and, and it rocking and moving on the table. And the minute I touched that, like the thing just stopped and I'm like, yeah. no, keep going. Like, come on. And, um, I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, that that's the only like problem if you call it that I've ever had with them. Yeah. But not because I'm afraid. You're too of logical. You're too earthy. You're too grounded. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah. But again, that that just kind of adds to, you know, your beliefs are what are going to influence your reality. Mm -hmm. If you think logically or you're a grounded person, those are the results you're going to get. If you're a very airy, flighty, will believe anything kind of personality, you know, kind of gullible, um, you're going to get those kinds of results as well. (laughs) So 
even even you know your your latent thoughts or your not so obvious thoughts your preconceived notions your prejudices whether they're conscious or unconscious that's all going to influence what happens you know and i think this is a whole other conversation to have but i think that's why some people are much better at using tools for divination than others it's mm-hmm. not so much that they have a gift it's just their proclivities that they innately have no, I, I'd have to agree because, you know, I've run the gamut. I've tried tarot, pendulum, all sorts of, and, and build for a little bit. And then I'm like, no, this isn't it either. You know, and I'm like, okay, I give up. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, if I get the message through the healing work, then, then I get it. But to say I throw shell, dominoes, cards, thimble, you name it. Like, yeah. like uh, I tried it, whatever. You know, works for you. Great for me. Eh. Yeah. Yeah, I've got other things I could be doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we should, we should do a, an episode on different casting and what works for that. Cause like you've, you've done the whole bone casting and I was really like, Oh yeah. And I'm like, okay. I still have the set though. And I look at it and I'll play with it now and then, but. Yeah. Um, bones for me are something that I really read for people. Like that's another thing I kind of, so my divination system is tarot primarily that's because i've always liked tarot i've always liked the imagery the idea its history that's why it works best with me before i even had a deck i already had the inclinations toward it that was my thought pattern that was you know it wasn't the other divination systems so when i did learn tarot it worked and still continues to work so well for me everything else not so much yeah i can read runes but i don't connect with them when i learned about bones there was a lot of heavy emphasis on how this is connected to the ancestors. So they work well when I want to talk to my ancestors. They don't work so well when I want to talk to the ancestors of other people. So that's why I reserve them for me and tarot for everyone else. I think we should pick that up on a whole other episode there. Yeah. (laughs) Now that it comes, do we leave that in or do I edit that out before we launch this one? (laughs) I'll leave that up to you, yeah. (laughs) Well, do you have any other wisdom for tonight's uh, episode here? Any party thoughts, wisdom, do's, don'ts, bail money uh, suggestions, things of that nature? <laughs> don't ask questions you don't want to know the answers to. Don't go looking for things you can't get rid of. Very true. But what is the, the say? Don't summon something you can't banish. Yeah, don't summon what you can't banish. <laughs> and then you know that there's always the smart Alex like well how do I know I can if I don't try <laughs> so there's always the old Alex or <laughs> not so much old fuck around and find out <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> make sure you have a friend who can bail you out just in case you can <laughs> by yourself maybe in that case call Zach <laughs> yes clog up my schedule <laughs> Well, if they need to get a hold of you, Zach, how do they find you? If you need to contact Captain Savaho, go to Instagram and look up at T I O C U I H U I T O. Okay. And, and you're pretty on there uh, often. Yes. You know, pretty current, pretty often. Reachable. Mm-hmm. You know, they can always reach us at, um, I think, every social media, Goddess Elite. I think we're on everything. Maybe not so much Twitter. I think that's automated. Nobody's really there answering that one. Don't go to Twitter. Facebook, um, Instagram. We're on TikTok now. Um, so you can message us pretty much anywhere. You have a YouTube. Yeah, we do have YouTube. 
I'm actually live there every Wednesday morning with Marianne. So you can ask questions in there live and, and uh, answer you out. So, well, thanks for uh, another informative recording here. You are very welcome. You make my job too easy. Now I just thanks. have to out, edit, you know, all of the little flu bars and fub ups and <laughs> table squeaks. Yes. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.